Hello, uh, my name is Alistair. I'm a first year uh, student and we'll be reading from the Bible now. So this is Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35 all the way to 12 verse 3. <clears throat> so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what, is, what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous, will, but my righteous one will live with, by faith. And I will take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go a place he would, not, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would, not have, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death, back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because he saw he, they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell, after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lion, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, good day. My name's Ben. I'm one of the staff workers here at CU, and it's great to be together to open the Bible. Um, if you were with us last semester, we spent a number of weeks looking at the book of Hebrews, which we're picking up again today in chapter 11, and that we'll be looking at for the rest of semester. Now, the book of Hebrews was written to Christians who were under pressure, huge pressure, to give up on Jesus. And the reason that it was written was to encourage them to stand firm. So, for example, we see in Hebrews 10, which comes just before what we read just now, it says, Remember those days after you'd received the light, you've become Christians, you've seen Jesus for who he is, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So, and so you see the persecution now, here's the purpose. So, do not throw away your confidence, your confidence in Jesus. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. Now you can see in that reading there, can't you, some of the pressure that they were under. Insult, persecution, pr- 
prison, confiscation of property. And he wants them to persevere. But did you notice the reasons he gives for why they should persevere? Did you notice that as we read it out? Have a look again at verse 35 and 36. Why not throw away your confidence in Jesus? Because it will be richly rewarded. Why persevere as a Christian? Verse 36. Because if you do, you'll receive what God has promised. So can you see what the author of Hebrews is doing here for these Christians who are under pressure? What he's doing is lifting their eyes to see the bigger picture. He's reminding them of what God has promised for those who stick with Jesus to the end. The promise one day of eternal life, of forgiveness, of an eternity of life as it was meant to be. As Sean reminded us at the time when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That is what is waiting for those who trust in Jesus, even though we'll have hardship in the meantime. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, keep following Jesus, stick with him now, because even though it means suffering now, it will be worth it. That's what he's saying in Hebrews 10, 35 to 39, isn't he? He's saying, he who is coming, Jesus, will soon come and will not delay. We want to have faith and not shrink back. As Jesus himself promised in Matthew 16, be willing to lose your life for me now and you'll find true life in the age to come. Now, God's promises for the future mean that any pressure, no matter how bad or sufferings that we might face in this life of following Jesus are far outweighed. It's not even worth comparing to the glory that is to come. But in reality, if you're anything like me, it's It's very easy to lose sight of that, isn't it? I wonder if you've experienced that. Sure, this life on earth is a mere heartbeat compared to eternity, but sometimes it can feel pretty long. And yes, the world around us is temporary, but it it feels so concrete. I mean, we're at week 10 in semester. The pressures of uni and work can feel so real, while eternity can feel kind of abstract, can't it? And so we easily lose sight of the bigger picture, don't we? We easily become short-sighted and live as if this life is all there is. And that problem is not unique to us today. The author of Hebrews knew that his readers were struggling with the same problem. They were getting discouraged by present hardships and losing sight of what God had promised in the future. And so the purpose of Hebrews chapter 11, which we just had read out for us, the whole point of it is to encourage them, stand firm with Jesus, to encourage them with examples of people throughout history who have trusted God, even in the face of uncertainty and hardship. People who have had faith in God and his promises and allowed those promises regarding the future to shape their life in the present. So Hebrews chapter 11 is all about faith, faith in God and his promises. So have a look in your handouts with me at Hebrews 11 verses 1 to 2. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. 
Now, faith is a huge topic in this chapter. It's mentioned 25 times in this chapter here alone. But it's a word and a concept that's extremely misunderstood in our culture. So what does the Bible mean when it talks about faith? Because often when people hear the word faith today, we often think of blind faith. In fact, some people even give, as a definition of faith, belief in something for which there is no evidence. Just a little bit ironic because there's not a lot of evidence for that definition of faith. But it's not just people outside the church who do this. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, you know, we don't have any evidence for God, but, but just have faith. There's no evidence, there's no reason, there's no grounding, but just, just believe based on nothing. The only problem is the Bible never actually uses the word faith to mean that. No, the word faith literally means trust. That's all it means. To have faith in someone is to trust them, to rely on them. Or to use the language of Hebrews 11.1, 1, it's to have confidence in them or assurance that they'll do what they say about some unseen thing in the future. That's how the Bible uses the word faith. And we still use that word, uh, we still use it that way today, don't we? So if someone says, come on, have a little faith in me, what are they saying? Believe in my existence without any evidence? <laughs> no, they're saying, trust me, aren't they? Or if someone says, he's restored our faith in politicians, it's an unlikely event, but <laughs> it doesn't mean we've started now believing in politicians despite all the evidence to the contrary. No, it means that we have trust in them. We have greater confidence or assurance that they'll do what they say. That's what it means to have faith in someone. And it's important to realise the Bible never commends faith as something that is intrinsically good. As if faith itself is somehow a virtue. No, there are lots of times where faith is actually denounced in the Bible. Because people were putting their faith, their trust, in the wrong things. They were trusting in their own wealth, or strength, or intellect, or armies, or foreign gods. No, what the Bible commends is specifically faith in God. And it commends faith in God because he's faithful. It commends trust in God because he's trustworthy. It commends reliance on God because he's reliable. You know, imagine if Tim Thorburn came up to me after a public meeting today and said, Hey Ben, can you lend me a hundred bucks? I promise I'll pay you back next week. Well, because I know Tim, and he's a pretty trustworthy guy, I'd probably say, sure, here's a hundred bucks. I have confidence that he will pay me back in the future. Even though I can't see him giving me the money, it's unseen, but, but I trust him. But now imagine some rando on Oak Lawn came up to me and asked for a hundred bucks. Asked the same thing. Well, well, that'd be a different story, wouldn't it? I mean, maybe you're more trusting than I am, uh, but I'd probably say no. Maybe you say, oh, Ben, come on, have more faith. Well, no, that's silly, isn't it? I've got no basis for thinking that that person is trustworthy. I've got no reason for confidence in them. Tim, on the other hand, I do know, and he has a proven track record of trustworthiness, of faithfulness. And so me putting my faith in him is not blind faith. It's a grounded faith, isn't it? There's a reason behind it. And the Bible is the same. It doesn't encourage us to have blind faith. 
No, it wants us to have faith in God, to trust him, but to do so based on the proven track record of him being faithful. And really, that's what Hebrews 11 is doing. Hebrews 11 is showing us example after example of people who had faith in God to do what he'd promised to do. So, for example, have a look in your Bibles with me at Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Now, when it says he was warned about things not yet seen, what's it talking about? Well, it's talking about the flood. In Genesis 6, God promised Noah that there was going to be this huge flood that would cover the earth. And so Noah spent years of his life building this huge boat on dry land. And you can imagine someone coming up to him as he's halfway through his construction project being like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you building this boat? There's not really any water for it to go in. You realise that we live in the Middle East, right? It's kind of dry, no? And maybe Noah says, oh, well, you see, it all makes sense. There's going to be this huge flood out of nowhere and it's going to cover the whole earth and my boat is just going to start floating right off the water. You think, okay, this guy's a little bit crazy. It's like what we think of doomsday preppers, you know, building their bunkers and stockpiling baked beans, prepping for the zombie apocalypse, prepping for a threat that is unseen. But of course, here's the critical difference. Unlike the doomsday preppers who don't actually have a good reason to think that the zombies are coming. I mean, you may, you may disagree with me there. We can chat about that afterwards. Uh, but I maintain that they don't have good reason to think that the zombies are coming. Noah did have a good reason to think that the flood was coming. Why? Because God himself had promised it. And so because Noah believed God to be trustworthy, he put his faith in him and then shaped his present life around that future promised reality. He couldn't see the coming flood. It was years away. But his faith in God gave him confidence about what he did not yet see. And of course, just like God promised, the flood came, didn't it? And Hebrews 11 points to many examples like this. Abraham and Sarah, for example, were in their 70s when God promised them a son. And now you don't need modern medicine to know that women just can't have children when they're that old. You just don't see a lot of pregnant septuagenarians walking into the maternity ward on their walking frames. And Genesis 18 tells us that even Sarah herself laughed when God made the promise. She said, no way, I'm way past childbearing age. It seemed not just impossible, but ridiculous to her. And yet... Have a look with me in your Bibles at verse 11. It says, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, that's an understatement, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. Did she think it was unlikely, impossible, even ridiculous that she could have a child? Yes. And yet she believed. Why? Because she had blind faith? No, because she considered him faithful who made the promise. Just like me considering Tim faithful to come through with a hundred bucks. Sarah's faith was grounded in the proven faithfulness of a God who had come through on promises before to Abraham and Sarah. 
And this is critical for us to grasp. The Bible does not call us to have a blind faith. On the contrary, it wants us to have a grounded faith. It wants us to consider whether there is good reason to think that God is faithful. Whether or not he's trustworthy. And that's really what Hebrews 11 is about. You know, some people call it the the great faith hall of fame. Like, wow, look at these great heroes of the faith. They're such amazing people. But that's actually kind of missing the point. Hebrews 11 is not a record of people with amazing faith. It's a record of how God has proved himself faithful. Even amidst the often weak and wavering faith of people like Sarah and others. It's a record of how, why God is trustworthy. And therefore, why we have good reason as followers of Jesus today to believe that God will come through on his promises to us. Now, can you see why this is so important for the Hebrews? For the original recipients of this letter in the first century AD? Do you remember the situation they were facing? They were under pressure and facing persecution. People were pressuring them to give up on Jesus. And the author of Hebrews is urging them, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Persevere so that you receive what God has promised. He's reminding them God is trustworthy. And the rest of Hebrews 11 is just driving this point home. I mean, have a look in your Bibles with me at Hebrews 11.24. It says, By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, if you've seen The Prince of Egypt, that excellent movie, you can probably picture this quite well, that Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household and he could have chosen to live the easy life, the life of a prince, just, you know, chariot racing, whatever princes do. But he chose instead to be mistreated along with the people of God. Why? Because he just enjoyed suffering? No, look at verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value. He made a value judgment than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. You see, God's promises for the future radically shaped what he was willing to face in the present, didn't they? And in many ways, the Hebrews... 2,000 years ago when they received this letter, they were facing the same question as Moses. Will they opt for the easy life? Will they cave in and conform to the culture around them, turn their backs on Jesus? Or will they be willing to be mistreated as the people of God? Will they stand firm with Jesus, even when it means opposition? And in many ways, we too are faced with the same question. Follow Jesus, even though it means hardship, even though it means laying down your life for the good of others. Or ignore Jesus and opt for a comfortable life, 
just living the way, life the way you want to live and fitting in with the culture around you. Now, make no mistake, as Sean reminded us just today, your life will be harder if you choose to follow Jesus. But if you believe God's promises, it will be more than worth it in the age to come. And it all comes down to whether or not you believe God, who made those promises, is trustworthy. Whether you believe he'll come through on what he said he'll do. And of course, the argument of Hebrews 11 is that God has proven himself worthy of putting our faith in time and time again. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life, There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Friends, there is a long history of God's people who are willing to face hardships, opposition, even death, because they looked forward in faith to receiving what God has promised. And the question for each one of us is, will we do the same? Will we press on with Jesus despite the pressure because we know what is coming for us in the age to come. That's what God is urging us to do here. Have a look with me at Hebrews 12, 1-3, where the argument of this section reaches its climax. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You can see how it all hangs together, can't you? And this is really the crux of the matter. Because you see, it's true that God has proven himself trustworthy countless times throughout history, as Hebrews 11 reminds us. But the clearest picture, the culmination, the most concrete demonstration of God's faithfulness, after all of those things that happened in history, is found in Jesus. And so this passage tells us, yes, Fix our eyes on those who have gone before us, Moses and Abraham and Sarah. But this passage calls us more than anything else to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because when we look at Jesus willingly dying on the cross, 
to take the punishment that we deserve, we see the ultimate display of God's love for us. To make a way for us to be forgiven. And when we look at Jesus conquering sin and death through his resurrection, we see the ultimate display of God's power to make a way for us to have eternal life so that we too can conquer death in the age to come. And so if we ever have doubts about God's trustworthiness or his love for us or whether he will come through on his promises, we need only fix our eyes on Jesus. Because in Jesus, God has made himself known. So friends, the Bible doesn't call us to have a blind faith. It doesn't call us to close our eyes, but to open them. To see the bigger picture. To open our eyes and look at how God has proved himself faithful time and time again. To open our eyes and fix our gaze on Jesus. And so just as we finish up, If you're here today and you're not a Christian, but maybe just investigating or curious, let me just say it's awesome that you're here. And let me assure you that as you investigate Christianity, you're not being asked to check your mind at the door and just take a blind leap of faith. No, investigate, open your eyes, ask the hard questions, read the Gospels for yourself. Look at all Jesus said and did and taught And as you read the Gospels, as you investigate Jesus, ask this key question. Is he trustworthy? Is he worth putting your faith in? Do you trust him to come through on what he said he will do and to be who he claims to be? That's really the critical question. And if you're here today and you are a Christian... And maybe you are a follower of Jesus, but you're feeling the pressure. And let me just encourage you to keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Persevere so that you will receive what God has promised. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Father, we thank you for the ways that you have proved yourself faithful throughout history. In many, in, way, many ways in, in, uh, in various places throughout the world, but especially in the Lord Jesus, in his life, death and resurrection. God, we admit that we so easily become short-sighted. We lose sight of the bigger picture and the eternity that lies in wait for each and every one of us. We admit that our faith is weak. Strengthen us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Give us your eternal perspective so that we would live lives that honour you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.